Jason Hawk. He's Richard Smith. She's Allison Downing, and this is Remote Patrol, your guide to the coolest canceled TV shows that you just might want to give a second chance. I'm kind of happy that we're giving this one the last chance tonight. <laughs> want to leave for a long, long time. It really has. Let's put this bucket to bed. <laughs> what is this? Our fifth episode on Quantum Leap? Something like is that. Is it? Yeah. Is it? I thought we'd just done four. Fourth or fifth? Let me look in this. Sure, it's the fifth. I have a folder of podcasts. <laughs> is this our eighth show? The, the, no, this is, this is not. right. This is show number six, and we did two Book Rogers ones. This okay. is our so fourth. This is our fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Number four. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, I'm going to say where the hell have these episodes been the entire time? Because I liked these episodes. Did you? Do you really like all all three of them? Well, let's put the finale aside because okay. I have some nasty things to say about the finale. <laughs> okay. But we're in season five. We're watching Goodbye Norma Jean, the Marilyn Monroe one. Uh-huh. We're watching Memphis Melody, the Elvis Presley one. And I love these two. They're really good, aren't they? Why didn't Sam jump into more famous people? That really made something that everybody can relate to. It's tricky because when he leaps into a famous person, he has to become that famous person. And that's kind of the bit I felt. I don't know, of all the bits we've, we've discussed where you think, oh, come on, mm. as if that's happening. When he's Elvis, that's when I felt that the most. The, oh, like, come on, it, He's seriously Elvis, and he can just start, he can just be Elvis, and that's, that's okay. Yeah. It, it provided big problems in the actual plot of the show. <laughs> you know, but like... As- in the Marilyn Monroe one, he wasn't actually Marilyn. He no. was the chauffeur for Marilyn, and that opened up a lot of doors. Exactly. I thought that yeah. was a really good approach. It'd leap into someone close to the person, not necessarily the person. So that the Marilyn Monroe one did work for me. See, that also gives you, the from a production point of view, you've then got to find somebody who can conceivably be that famous person. Now, Marilyn Monroe is quite a good one to do that with, because I, I think there's more than a few people who would like to be seen as Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Especially actresses. Yeah. Um as we saw in that early much earlier episode, there's an actress who's made a living out of exclusively playing people who look like Marilyn Monroe. Mm. So Well that's this actress right here, Susan Griffiths. Is that what she does mostly? Hang on. This, this is Marilyn. apparently her gig. She played Marilyn in movies and magazines and events. She still does it now. In which case, there's at least two then, because I was referring to the woman that we talked about in the first Quantum Leap episode we did. Uh, there was, was he a boxer the, or something? Yeah, the stripper. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's who I was talking about. When you look up her on IMDb, she's been Marilyn Monroe in everything else she's ever been in. Wait, 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 wait. Go look her up real quick, Rich. I, I want to know, is it the same actress? Because I kind of thought that they looked almost identical. And sounded alike as well. Susan Griffith. Arguably, they both looked and sounded a lot like Marilyn Monroe. So that could be the thing. What episode was it that we did then? It was, oh, The Right Hand of God. It's still purple on my thing. Right. Is it Susan Griffiths in that role? No, it's Terry Copley. Ah. Uh, I love that she was in Nip Tuck as someone called Joyce Monroe. Not Marilyn, but Joyce. It's like she needs that surname. But she was in that playing someone who wanted to become Marilyn Monroe. Actually, I think I've clicked on the wrong. I think I might have clicked on the wrong person. Or what I actually did was see if it was the actress from this episode we're talking about. And then get them mixed up. It wasn't her. It wasn't her. 
She's got 14 titles, most of them are Marilyn Monroe characters, but she only appears in one Quantum Leap, this one. Yeah, it's a different person. This one, Susan Griffith, Griffiths, has the worst website ever. It looks <laughs> like it was made for GeoCities. <laughs> SusanGriffiths.com, it's terrible. Ah, GeoCities, those were the days. Did it ever work, that? They shut it down a while ago, didn't they? And I remember you could download the whole thing. Yeah, it's all gone now. Thank I'm, I'm, God. I'm sure that it's on some internet time machine or internet time capsule or something like that where you can look it up. But Oh, of all the things that should be stricken from oh, history. Oh, it's awful. Would you look at this website? Surely she's not made this. I've actually That's noticed. her official website. It's got contact information for booking her as Marilyn and everything. When you search around the internet for stuff relating to Quantum Leap, there is an unusual number of very badly made awful websites <laughs> you'll, you'll have noticed this no doubt doing some background research on the episodes or going back to fill in my memory because there we there was a big recording gap where we didn't record for a few weeks people won't know that because they've come out really close to each other but um yeah i went back to refresh my memory and just these terrible text only sites with bad backgrounds and animated gifs yeah this, this even the stuff for star trek isn't this bad I get the feeling there's a lot of net beards in basements and that sort of thing in their parents' basements building these websites. But even then, they did it 10 years ago and just haven't taken them down or anything like that. It's it's a bit weird. So I'm glad you like these two anyway. Well, to be more specific, I like the Marilyn Monroe one the most and not just because I'm, you know, obsessed with chicks. Yeah. But uh, I really felt that I got to know... Marilyn Monroe a little bit better Were through you, this episode. Are you okay with this story? Because basically we, we leap into Marilyn quite shortly before she dies. So it's that little cloudy, misty period of time that we know that she was going through, um, you know, some pretty tough stuff well, in her life. To, to be clear, we he leaps into the person close to Marilyn before she died in the original history before Sam puts it right. Right. The date of the so, episode is April 4th, 1960, and they say it's four days before she commits suicide, but we know she didn't really die for another two years. Yeah. So that's what it is. So he saves her. For the, two years. For two years. There's a, I think that something similar happens in the, uh, uh, what's that? Oh, the Lee Harvey Oswald episode, uh, where right at the end, he does, the, he does the shooting as Lee Harvey Oswald, but then he leaps, and he leaps into a Secret Service agent. Uh, that's in the motorcade, the one who jumps onto the back of the car as it drives away. And they, he's there in the hospital afterwards moaning that he didn't save Kennedy, he didn't do any good. And Al points out, no, in the original history, Jackie O dies as well. Right. So you saved her, and that's actually what you were meant to do. See, that's the s- sort of stuff that I wish that they would have played with the entire time. Mm. Yeah, it would have been good. There were- Here's the bad history. Here's the history of, of the future that Sam is from, where the quantum uh, Project Quantum Leap is established. That terrible, terrible future with the neon. Yeah, and shocking lapels and shiny material. And here's how we get to the history that everybody knows. I'm still disappointed we don't have all the, sh- the shiny materials and stuff like that. It doesn't look <laughs> like the future yet. I don't think they're very warm. It's, everything still looks they're like 20 years ago. and hard to iron. Uh, the moment that we can... Iron shiny fabrics, we're, we're fine. Why have we but not eliminated we... ironing yet as well while I we're on the know. subject? I don't know. Why can I talk to a man in Ohio 
about Quantum Leap for hours on end, that's fine. But get me a shirt that doesn't need ironing, no chance. You can have I one, think it's a, a vast appliance conspiracy. It must be. The iron people are in on this. They, they just are. want us to keep buying irons. I bet they're in a conspiracy with the ironing board people. <laughs> it's, it's all terrible. Anyway... <laughs> So this film, uh, this film, this TV show reminded me of a film. Did it remind you of anything, Jason? Uh, not particularly. I kind of had, I was a little bit starstruck for this one because mm. everybody knows Marilyn Monroe, but I didn't know too much about her. Mm. So instead of like watching it with a critical eye and comparing it to other works, what I was doing this entire episode was just sitting there going, I didn't know that. Yeah. She's I mean, I, to start off, I didn't know that she committed suicide. You didn't? No, I mean, she's a product of a different time. It's one of those, yeah, carry on, sorry. (laughs) She's a product of a different time, and so I never really paid attention to her. I mean, everybody knows Marilyn Monroe, Mm. but that's kind of where it ended for me. You see, it didn't end there for me at all, because being an iconic woman, I guess, and growing up with the images that we've had of Marilyn Monroe, and having Madonna do Marilyn Monroe stuff like Material Mm. Girl, and that kind of thing. She was always a massive icon. And I, I, I always wanted to know a little bit about her. Um, I didn't necessarily watch any of her films when I was young. But, you know, you, you get your screen grabbing images of her above the air grate and a skirt blowing up and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So you've got iconic flash images. And then I heard her singing to the president, uh, singing happy birthday to Kennedy. And that's about the extent of my knowledge. Of okay, her. so she, From, she was married to Henry Miller, the the playwright, um, which is kind of weird, I suppose. Um, no, because th- th- think back in in the fifties and sixties, who was the people that were writing films, mm-hmm. and and mm. where they came from. On, on a career path. He was far is, more intellectual you know, than any film writer that she'd ever been anywhere but, near. But my point is, is that in the 50s and 60s, screenwriters, actual honest-to-God screenwriters, mm. were fairly thin on the ground, if in existence at all. Mm. I mean, you've got the Tennessee Williams box set of films yeah. because he was a playwright and they were all plays. Yeah. And it's just because there weren't, there hadn't been enough of a movie industry for long enough for people to have built up writing careers solely based in film. Mm. In the 50s, there will have been some. I, I suppose that would be the start of it all. But well, I think, that's what we're going through now is another changeover. Instead absolutely. of um, having screenwriters that write for video games, now we have the video game people. And your younger people can come up and say, you know, they can name off who the video game producers are, the big names in video games. They know those names just like we know the, the directors and the producers of movies. I mean, kind of the, the movie industry as we know it, as it's been for all of our lives, kind of started when... The studios were all sold to marketing after this period when the big heads of studios all packed in, retired, died, whatever. And they started drafting in college students and gave us Spielberg and George Lucas and Francis yeah. Ford Coppola and m- many others that mm. we regard to be the absolute giants of directing and cinema of our lifetime. Yeah. Uh, so this is these are people before then. So, yeah, it, I think it's quite conceivable that a big film actress would have married a playwright. And if, I'm just looking up on uh, the good old Wikipedia. She she uh, was in The Misfits, which, which was written by him. Yeah. So. Well, that was the film that they apparently, that Sam saved her uh, to do. Yeah. So after Miller wrote that, and it was released in 61, which is a year before her death. 
Yeah. So, mm, yes. as I, as I gather, she wasn't a great actress. She was a movie star. And there's a big difference between the two. There's lots of stories about her driving Tony Curtis up the effing wall, yeah. making some like it hot because she couldn't do scenes. Yeah. She couldn't they'd do take after take waiting for her to get her line right. Some like it hot was 59, so 3 years before she died. Yeah. Um, so and the, you know she was she was ill and I'd say probably addicted for the last few years of her life and those kinds of problems with substance dependence got in the way of her, her acting. It's entirely likely that rather than commit suicide, she actually died of an overdose. I believe it was an accidental um, overdose of barbiturates and alcohol. I ju- really do. It makes, many, it makes perfect sense too on many paper. Downers. The big conspiracy theory is that she was killed by the CIA because she was having an affair with President Kennedy. Yeah. Whether that's... She probably wasn't killed by the CIA. Whether probably or not, not she was having an she affair with Kennedy... She was probably having an affair with Kennedy. Issue. She probably was. She was certainly intimately close with him. So yeah. that bit's established. The, mur- for, the for murder stuff is... the purposes stuff, of Quantum Leap, just, it's just much nicer if we say she commits suicide. But obviously... It doesn't skate around the issue of the president. He's coming to this party. She can't wait to go to the party to see him. It's a big thing, that, though, I think. It's a, it, it was the, the big Marilyn Monroe story. Yeah. But, yeah, she was she was a movie star. I'm trying to think of an equivalent sort of person. Um, the, the only name that keeps coming up, and it's not right because she's nowhere near anything like enough of a star, but the name that I keep thinking of is someone like a Megan Fox who is more famous for who she is and what she looks like than she is for acting in films. You know, so somebody like that. I don't think she was ever regarded as a brilliant actress, because she wasn't. I don't think that there is really a a modern analog for Marilyn Monroe, because it's somebody who everybody views as a ditz, and I don't think that that archetype plays anymore. Well, we had Melanie Griffiths, didn't we? We had the The, Melanie Griffiths, just rubber stamp, (laughs) sort of, be an 80s Marilyn, and it didn't really work. No. Um, yeah, I think maybe Renee Zellweger had a go at that one as well for a little while, but no, that didn't go very far either. Yeah, it doesn't play very well anymore. It's, it's kind of a, an old attitude towards women as well, that she was kind of the ditzy blonde bombshell kind of, she looks great, but don't ask her to think or talk or have an opinion or things like that. Or as this episode points out that she was putting that that role on like clothing when she went out in public that she, she was actually a very, very smart person, yeah. very business savvy. She knew how to get around. She knew how to get what she wanted, but in order to move up and to have the appeal that she needed on the screen, she adopted the Marilyn persona. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, the best part of the episode is where she changed gears. She, it was toward the end that where she goes in to do her reading for mm-hmm. the misfits. Yeah. And you can see her change all of a sudden. She goes from cool, calm, collected, smart person and she puts on the Marilyn persona and does the reading and it's absolutely brilliant that she yeah. had that range I, I thought that was great Yeah, you see this is where it reminds me of a film and it reminds me of All About Eve and and to a certain extent All About My Mother and it's all about this character coming along and landing in a celebrity's life and trying to be uber useful, I'm, you know, you can't get by without me. I'm the thing that you've been looking for unknowingly. And here I am, I'm going to support you, I'm going to do everything for you. And that's what we get with this. 
Oh, this film is all about, this episode is all about Eve. There's yeah. just no two ways about yeah. it. That's basically what this is. Yeah. So what's her name? I've come off Barbara. Barbara. Who I recognize from lots of things. It's Liz Vassy. Yeah. See, the name doesn't ring a bell. And I don't, I actually realize what I recognize her from is the episode of Star Trek that she was in for 15 seconds. Um, uh, which which Star Trek series? Next Gen. I'm just I'm trying to find it on a listener. She was it was an episode of Next Generation where they all forget who they are. It's a later one. Oh, uh, the one where Ensign Rowe is introduced. Yes, it, that one. Uh, so they all forget who they are, and she's Some in four. she's in sick bay, having been having hurt herself diving in the holodeck. So she's in a swimming costume in sickbay and has no idea what's going on. That's it. And that's what I recognize her from. At least I think that's her, because now I can't find it on her list. Have I imagined that? That would be mental. I didn't think she had ever been in Star Trek. That really surprised me. Oh, but I immediately been. recognized her as Captain Liberty. Captain Liberty? Captain Liberty. I'm going to take this moment right here just to warn you. Eventually, during some part of this podcast, I'm going to make you watch the Patrick Warburton series, The Tick. Right. Okay. I'm familiar with it. I'm not sure that it will appeal to your comedic sensibilities. Right. But it appeals to mine. <coughs> she was never in Star Trek. Who the ha- Right. I, as a side note, I just have to quickly look up who on earth I was thinking <laughs> about, because that's weird. There was one other big guest star in this episode. Did you spot him? Uh, yeah. What? Steven Root? Oh, yeah. I, now I just remember. He has popped up in so many things in my life recently. It's it's difficult to keep track of them all because he suddenly appeared in Boardwalk Empire the other night. Oh, did he? And I think he's been, he's been on something else as well. So when I just see him, you just say, oh, of course it's Steven Root. It's my stapler. It's my stapler. And we watched Office Space again, which always helps. Um, oh, I'm never going to find that Star Trek episode. I'm, I'm going to stop looking. Can't remember what it's called or what season it's in. Do I really only had one complaint about Goodbye Norma Jean. What's that? Otherwise, it was almost a perfect episode. But uh, did you notice that the, sh- the shots where Ziggy jumps in, or I'm sorry, whoops, the shots where uh, Al jumps in, mm-hmm. They're really, really clumsy. You can see the the jump. Oh, can you? Yeah. It, I mean, that, how they did it is just really simple. They would stop, start and stop the camera and have people move around. It's basically stop action. Yeah. And you can see the camera move. Right. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. I mean, I think that they were just getting lazy about that toward the end. Sometimes Maybe they're so. brilliant. Sometimes they're questionable. And yeah, sometimes it's just, oh, you ran out of time that day, didn't you? Or you didn't notice, or something like that. It, now, I have a bigger complaint for Memphis Melody. What, Talking is it that he, he can suddenly get Elvis's record deal? Well, no, it's that he he's as bad at doing the Elvis accent as Kevin Costner is at doing an English accent. He doesn't even try, yeah, does he? Yeah, he doesn't. He talks like Sam. He talks like Sam, he sings like Elvis sometimes. <laughs> See, I think that's that's part of it, though. He never does the accent of the people that he leaps into. 
So I, I kind of think that's do it. The Elvis episode is the time to do it. You can't be Elvis without the Elvis accent. Yeah, because I kept forgetting he was Elvis. You know what I mean? Until he was called Elvis by somebody. Oh, like okay, he's Elvis. To everyone else, they see and hear Elvis. Otherwise, that just implies that anyone can go and sing Blue Moon of Kentucky and become Elvis. And I'm pretty sure there's more to it than that. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm going to go and be Elvis tomorrow. Blue Moon of Kentucky was one of the ones where it didn't sound like Elvis. But the one in the the diner was pretty good. That was a better one. Mm. I was bopping around during that diner scene. It It was very good. It was very good. It all reminded me a little bit of Wayne's World. You know, like, we've got to get <laughs> Big Sharp from Sharp Records, and we've got to see him. I, yeah, I've it's got, the same plot, isn't it? be at the diner. We've got to be there. Yeah, That's it. it. This, the that episode's plot. the plot of Wayne's World. <laughs> yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and, and the head of the record, you see, again, I have, this is actors being too good in a role, that the guy who was the, the record label executive was president something or other in 24 yeah and i hate him we hate him so you know as soon as we see that guy we just hate oh god he's gonna be a baddie we hate him yeah it doesn't matter who he is or what he does on screen we just hate him i missed that subtext because i haven't watched any of 24 wow see i think you'd like it up to a point it gets a bit silly some seasons are just silly i watched a little tiny bit of a couple of episodes when my in-laws were in, into it hardcore. I mean, and they're they're hard right leaning political folks, and it seemed to appeal to them because it was so neocon, like torture whoever you need to, kill whoever you need to, to save the United States because yeah. it's the hope of it's the hope of the world. Yeah, see that's, that appeal to me. That's that's the frightening bit is that it's one of those things like you see Jack Bauer doing it, and it's not shown positively. Like, he does, he will, like, suddenly, if he needs information from a guy quick, he'll not think twice about sticking a pen in his eyeball, which is fine for TV, but they then make a good point of saying, and you know, you shouldn't really stick a pen in somebody's eyeball, don't you? (laughs) You know that that's not how we prefer to do things. But seeing as you've gone and already stuck that pen in there already, what did you find out? And so it's, it's kind of dubious on that level, but... Yeah, I th- I think you'd like it up until about season four or five. It was a show that went on for two or three seasons longer than it should have done uh, and, and just got ridiculous by the end. If I may plug a non-simply syndicated show. You may. <laughs> My friend Dave Riley and, uh, and uh, his friend Joel <laughs> do a show called Fast Karate for the Gentleman. <laughs> and it's all about anime and it's all about video games except for the couple of seasons where they would spend about every other episode kind of doing their own version of 24 where they would watch 24 and then they would just uh talk about how ridiculous it was yeah everything that i know about 24 really comes from that they're probably doing a spot on job as yeah well. i would imagine so to be fair, it is risible in parts but it's also very exciting they do this real attention thing so so well that's the show. Oh, in its early days, it was a show that as soon as you'd watched episode one, you were there for the next 23 hours. Oh, it's hours. like crack. It's awful. Because that's how I came upon it as well. I didn't see it one by one. I got a box set and smashed it in in 24 hours. <laughs> and that you started on season four with that one. You've never seen one, two, and three. I know. But uh, five, six, and seven were so bad, no one wants to go back and live <laughs> through that again. We're done with Jack Bauer. I, I liked Gregory Itzin, though, as the 
president in a perverse way. I hated him, and he's just—he's just so compelling to watch. What, what was his name? He was Gregory Charles. Itzen. Charles. President Charles something. I want to say no. Let me see. But he was horrible, and he was the corrupt president, but corrupt to the point of caused lots of terrorism. Charles Logan. To Charles, Do- Charles President Logan. Logan. That's it. Yeah. So I just hate him. He can't be nice. Horrible, horrible president. And he's done... Uh, for reasons entirely due to the writing of the show, I, I kind of disliked the female lead in the episode here. In Memphis. Right. Oh, I, she, I, she was that annoying personality type that, okay, the plot demands that you get her involved in accomplishing point X, yeah. but she doesn't want to, and so she whines about it the whole time, and that just really always pisses me off. And she's got that overbearing boyfriend as well who makes her do that sort of thing. Right. And my whole thing is that if you don't want to do it, then why do we spend the entire show making her do it? You know, people should yeah. only do things that they want to do, that they're motivated to do. But it, she needed a moment of conflict, though, to get her away from that dickwad that she's with. It was all about, oh, she should do it, but she's unconfident. Yeah. And being uncom- inconfident. What's unconfident? Underconfident. Underconfident. <laughs> Whatever the opposite of confident is. <laughs> I, I I speak English, apparently. Um, it's it's viewed, especially on television, as that's not a valid reason for not trying. So get over it. No, you need to have a bullying boyfriend who says you're not doing that's that. That's it. I suppose so. That's the root of it all, yeah, isn't her it? Her internal conflict wasn't that big, but, you know, we needed that sort of power lever from her boyfriend who was saying, no, you're not going to sing, and you're certainly not going to be around Elvis. And to be fair... He might uh, have I wouldn't had let a point. my girlfriend around Elvis. At I'm that sorry. period of time, he you was know. gorgeous. So, yeah, I can imagine you stay away from that cute boy with the hips and the lips, please. Thank I you. I bet Elvis got into a lot of trouble with a lot of people's boyfriends. And, you know, they they do that nod, don't they? All the girls really like him. The girl in the diner really likes him. And the episode starts with someone's boyfriend coming to beat him up. <laughs> exactly. He's Elvis, for God's sake. Exactly. This is my point about the whole thing. He's Elvis. He's one of those unique one-in-a-billion kind of individuals. Whether you like his music or not, and I'm not the biggest Elvis fan in the world or anything like that, but the man was huge. Go on. Abnormally huge. Kentucky's your favourite song. Yeah, but the one sung by Scott Bakula, not the original. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Which one's your favorite song? It's not really my favorite song. It's my favorite song like Navy Seals is Allison's favorite film. Well, I had on here to to ask you what your favorite Elvis song is. I don't really have a favorite Elvis song. Oh gosh. Especially since after this episode, I got on a tour. Uh, you know, I just went all over YouTube looking up for uh, Elvis songs because I was just really in the mood for it. It, it was one of those weird things where it just struck, you know, the the episode hit me a certain way and I said, okay, let's put aside the alternative stuff. Let's put aside the the nostalgic old 90s rap stuff for a little while. Let's clear that off the iPod. Let's go for old bluegrass gospel hip-hop, or uh, not hip-hop, rockabilly Elvis kind of stuff. Um. No, I couldn't claim to have a favorite Elvis track. I, I, like you, I could go on a bit of an Elvis kick and figure out what I'd like. because he's he's someone who I've always had a great deal of respect for as a performer and an artist, and I've I've seen some of his live performance that has been filmed and that sort of thing. Because there's there's one on telly every so often, and you watch it for five minutes, and it's clear why he's Elvis. 
you know? There's just something... It's that X factor that Simon Cowell's always banging on about. That it just oozes out of that man. He was meant to be what he became. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. And yet I know virtually nothing about him. I suppose the trouble is, is that he was on the go at pretty much the same time as the Beatles. So good luck with getting in over here. Well, it was a bit earlier. But well, no, I right. saw... Yeah, because yeah, he started. He started getting really big, sort of around nineteen fifty-five. That's when he really started to get somewhere. Yeah, and the he Beatles did hound dog about stuff. five or six years. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, what are my favorite? I'm just looking at the list here now. I, I suppose I like the proper rock and roll ones. I like Jailhouse Rock and All Shook Up. Hound dog. I mean, you just—he's one of those guys. You can just list off all his hits. Shake, rattle, and roll. And he'll have done a lot of covers as well. So there'll be a lot of things that are his version of something that was a song that already existed or has existed many times since. I mean, Jailhouse Rock, that's just been covered a billion times by various people and the Blues Brothers. So what's your favourite then, Jason? Gotta go with later Elvis. I really like his uh, little less or a little more satisfaction. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just the up-tempo stuff it gets me going a little bit more. And I really dislike, usually, his gospel phase. Yeah, I can't deal with all of that. And I, I don't really like all the, the female choral stuff in the background of, of the ballads. But that's what surprised me so much about this episode. Because it's, it's, of course, you know, because of the year that it is, it's the older stuff. He's singing Amazing Grace in this episode. Yeah. And it still hit me the right way. See, it's, it's as, as anti-religion as we all are, <laughs> the gospel music gave birth to a whole heck of stuff that was exactly. very important and And, and it remains really important to e- me. Exactly. No. I mean, not just Elvis. Where would, Ray Charles wouldn't have happened without gospel music. Exactly. And many other all people guys, of the era. Al Green, all those guys. Exactly. And, and it goes onwards all the way to today with people like Mary J. Blige singing in, the, with gospel roots. The anomalous thing about Elvis is he was white. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that's what the thing he is. says in there. You know, he's yeah. a white, white boy with a black voice. What's yeah. going on? The big line. I kind of cringed when I heard that one. But it's kind yeah, but of. You can imagine it, can't true. you? Back, you know, the the reflection back then. You sound like a black guy, but you're white. Hey, this still happens. And he, he was just a walking controversy. That guy. He was too sexual. He was too black. He was too this. He was too that. You but, know, look, he was. This, Scandal. this still happens that you have a white guy who will do something that is generally a, a black cultural thing vanilla ice <laughs> i was gonna go with eminem <laughs> as a better example yeah, and suddenly it's just whoa who the hell is this guy he's not just doing it but he's doing it better than a lot of other people and yeah. what what's going on so it still happens and it's it's not necessarily a racist thing yeah. i mean the I suppose we have to acknowledge our differences and all that sort of thing. I and think it, it was all tied with that um, immoral, uh, you know, immoral sexual imagery and that kind of blame that got put on on uh, black communities back in the day for for lowering the tone, lowering the moral code. Oh, that's just musical history. Well, I think it was, you know, fifties history, really. Oh, yeah. Well, it's 2010 history, too. Mm. Every generation does that. Every generation thinks that the music of the next generation is amoral. Yeah. I just think the music of the next generation shit. Well, it can it's it's be as immoral as it wants, but it's awful. Sorry. Um, but that's, again, that's Simon Cowell's fault, isn't it? 
Kanye. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's... I, I always, Him and Pete Wong. I always swore, and I still do, that as I grow up, I would, I would make a point of remembering and understanding that the music that young people, that teenagers are listening to today, that I'm not, it's not for me anymore. I'm not supposed to like mm. it. But analytically, musically, I, I do look at it and think, this actually isn't as good as what I had as a teenager. It just, it, it really isn't. And you could sit down and in an academic way, make a good case for why music is terrible these days mm. compared to the 90s, which did have its share of god-awful music. I mean... Com- compared to the 70s. Oh, no, the 70s, in my opinion, was the worst decade <laughs> of musical history of what, all what time. Come on, no, you've got your, uh, your, your Chicago... <laughs> this this is what's uncanny though you've got chicago we've got two <laughs> songs of chicago that's it yeah oh okay did you it's get hard for me to say i'm sorry there's that one and um 25 or 6 to 4 go listen to 25 or 6 to 4 and tell me that that's not the best music ever made see but did you get glam rock yeah because that is my uh, sure gary glitter all that mm-hmm. yeah that is perhaps my all-time least favorite musical genre I, Even I, under disco. You, oh, are you kidding? I, Disco's I, amazing. I have an abnormal that? love for disco. Yeah, yeah, but that's because, uh, well, I, I'm a dance music fan anyway, so my natural roots are through disco. I don't mean to, if, if I don't know if I'm allowed to say what I'm about to say, so if, if I offend anybody, I'm sorry, it's not meant that way. But if I, if I express the love for disco that I really have inside me, people would question my sexuality. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's fair to there, say. There's just no two ways about it. If you could jump in a time machine and go back and go to a loft in New York in sort of 1978, w- would you be happy in that environment? I would be getting down so funkily <laughs> that as I, long as it was close to wherever the Velvet Underground are playing, I, I would I would have changed right what once went wrong, but once what once went wrong would have merely been normal funk levels, and I would have sent them. Super high. Would you? Oh, oh, it would have been incredible. I'd have been offered the John Travolta part in Saturday Night Fever just because they'd. Have, you see, by that time, disco, disco was, was visible. By that time, that wasn't real disco anymore. That, there is that good disco, the, but my feeling about it is that the disco movement put out more crappy knockoff wannabe music, just trying to cash in on the disco craze oh, it, than any other kind did. of genre. It did, especially to to as it was dying. I mean, as and I, I think you could possibly go and look at other musical genres that this has happened to. That they start off underground, but as they get bigger and bigger and become mainstream, then other things try and jump on them. I mean, there is no defense for the disco remix of the Star Wars theme tune. That that there's no defense of that. It's it's an abomination, but it exists because disco was big. Yeah. At the same time, Star Wars and was you need big. To fill three hours. Of keeping people on their feet. Exactly. Although I believe not more. Quaaludes did it at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what they are. They're, they're downers. They're are they? Yeah. Well, then they didn't do it. No, they didn't do Probably it. Probably just coke Probably still. Probably some then. dexedrine, maybe cocaine, lots of cocaine yeah. and disco days. But anyway, we're talking about Elvis and there were no drugs back then. Oh, no. no. There God, were, no. There, there were, were no, milkshakes no and cheeseburgers and that was your lot. And, and convertible cars and acoustic guitars. Well, Elvis cashed out his chips right as the disco movement was getting its start. He really did. That's probably what killed him. I was going to say, I wonder if the two were related. Yeah. 
Just the disco. He's probably listening to some Earth, Wind and Fire on the toilet. Just did him in. See, there's the great debate of Elvis. Is it better? Histo- I mean, obviously it wasn't better for him because he died. But historically, is it better that Elvis died when he did? No, he should have died 10 years earlier. <laughs> but then Jason wouldn't have had his track, so that's not right. Maybe no. There are people who would who would who would released. swear that Fat Elvis <laughs> is is the best Elvis. No, there was. Fat Elvis is not the best Elvis you at know? all. Not a long shot. No. No way. He, his voice even began to change towards the end, and it wasn't what we wanted. You know. So imagine he not died. Imagine he'd lived a long and healthy Should've life. Should have done the twenty-seven. Would, would he still thing? be allowed alive today as a very old man? He probably would be, but he'd probably be the equivalent of some of those Vegas acts that you see now. Like, uh, what's what's the big one that everybody always talks about? What's Elton his name? John. The huge fro. No, not Elton John. Elton John's amazing. Um, Sorry, Alison hates Elton John. I don't you hate, hate him. I don't hates hate Elton John. him. How can you hate Elton you, John? You've expressed an, an extreme hatred for Elton John. I have not. Since I've known you. you always, and you always get at sacrifice. Oh, that's just an abomination of the English language and shouldn't have been allowed. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what I'm talking about. You got your lounge singers in Vegas who used to be famous, who are still kind of hanging on. Are you talking about Tony Bennett? Tom Jones. Tom Jones is the one that I was shooting for. Tom Jones is a a legend. He's he's huge here. He's a national treasure. He's geriatric, though. He is very old, but he gets a lot of respect, Mm. I think, and... Any time you see him on TV and there's like a live crowd there, the reaction is always massive. And the thing is, he can still belt it. Yeah, he can. That That's the thing. You just can't argue with that man's voice. It's incredible. And there are acts that just keep on building and building and building the longer that their career goes on. The Beatles did it. Uh, Elton John did it. Uh, Billy Joel arguably did it until he you know, stepped aside in, what, 1999? He just said, I'm done. Yeah. Somewhere around yeah. there. And uh, Elvis, I think, was on the opposite track. It seemed like his career was on the downswing. He was trying to be the cartoon image of what everybody thought that he was by the end. Yeah, and he he wasn't fit anymore. He just wasn't. No. And people didn't have that same reaction when they saw him. It was like, ooh, oh dear. And I think his daughter marrying... suits were just awful. His daughter marrying Michael Jackson might have pushed him over the edge as well. Mm. Because I'd have freaked out at that. So the finale. Okay, then. The finale. Mirror's image, eh? Mirror image. Now, I have to say, you can't imagine what this felt like watching it for the first time. Mm. With no explanation. We didn't know it was the last one. Because mm. there was no internet saying, hey, Quantum Leap's being cancelled. Mm. It wasn't a British show. There was nothing on here about it. It was on BBC Two, for God's sake. We're lucky we got to see it on TV at all, originally. Well, they didn't really know that it was being cancelled either. Because it was still up in the air when they had to make the finale real quick. Yeah. Does it feel real quick as well? It feels very abrupt. Yeah. And lazy. Any any TV series that ends with a placeholder card, you know, that you know it wasn't planned for. When it just puts up the sign at the end over the still photo. That's clearly not something that was meant to happen. Um, But yeah, we just suddenly, one week after the Elvis one, he leaps into himself. And we were just left for an entire week with what the hell is going on. Mm. We didn't know it was the last one, didn't know it was the end of the series or the show. 
had no idea. And it was absolutely shocking. Uh, and of course, you couldn't go back and watch it again or anything like that. Mm. I was still lucky I got to watch it in the house. So you did see it when it actually aired? Yeah, yeah. And what was your reaction at that time when you finally came to grips with the fact that it was ending, that it was over? As you watched, were you happy with the resolution? I was kind of happy with the resolution. Um, absolutely gutted that the series ended because it never, watching it for me originally, it never lulled. There was never a low point with it. Mm. I enjoyed every single episode. And I think this might be something we run up against, maybe even in doing this show, where there's a great deal. A show is much can be much more enjoyable once a week. Mm. But when you've got to sit down and watch seven of them, maybe it's a bit of a hard slog. And, and maybe Quantum Leap has suffered a bit for that. Every week, just for 45 minutes a week, whatever adventure Sam Beckett gets up to, it's fine. They were all fine. No, I, There was never a Quantum Leap episode to complain about when it was originally airing and it's only going back and I did it myself when the, when I started collecting the DVD box sets you just start watching and eventually five or six episodes in it's it's really starting to drag because as we've pointed out it, once you it doesn't stand up to scrutiny once you really start analyzing it you can pick it apart all night mm. and we did last week I really still feel guilty about that by the way don't worry about it. And so I, you, you should. Know, it's fine. And so I you could should. Just hear, I could hear Rich breaking inside. I could hear his soul weeping yeah. from inside of his body. One I'm of these days. I didn't hear his molars cracking from how hard he was crunching <laughs> his teeth together. <laughs> one of these days, we shall do one of your favorite TV shows, and I'll just sit here going, nah, it's crap. Didn't like it. Nah. Turnabout is fair play. Yeah. <laughs> so don't pick anything good for that, because then I'll, I'll just look stupid. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it felt good. It felt fine, but I don't know. It was kind of like the television equivalent of a McDonald's meal. It looked like food. It smelled like food. It tasted like food. And for about 20 minutes after I'd finished eating it, it felt like I'd had food. But 21 minutes afterwards, you suddenly realized, hang on, that wasn't food. That was just a poor approximation of food. And now this, you're saying this, this is your description, but do <coughs> I remind you, you said that this is the second best TV show of all time. Yeah. <laughs> and you're comparing it to McDonald's. Yeah. Yeah. Dear me. It has its place. It has its place. As as Stephen King said, trash has its place. Mm. And it's But you wouldn't true. say that McDonald's is the second best restaurant of all time. No, but do you He'd know say what? It's it would, the second best but would burger you, fast food joint in the UK. Seriously, <laughs> sit and consider what makes the best restaurant, and it's not necessarily just the quality of the food or <laughs> anything like that. Sometimes, you, and you know this, Alison, when you just really want a McDonald's, yeah. And at that point, that. at that point, can you not accept that while it's crap? And and like like I say, not food. It's an approximation of food. It's food flavored substance. Even Let me then, introduce you to my wife, perhaps one of the most beautiful people you will ever meet. And there's a good chance that when I go upstairs after recording this podcast, that she'll look at me and say, "I have to have a cheeseburger from McDonald's." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You saw that. You saw that episode of No Reservations where he asked all of the chefs if you could have one more meal, 
what would you have? And how many of them said KFC? KFC, that bright orange macaroni cheese that we don't get here. Yeah. Yeah, and they said, you know, maybe I do want to eat shit, the last thing that I eat. Yeah. So while you can sit there and tell me why the Fat Duck is a better restaurant than Keithley McDonald's. (laughs) Seriously, I think it depends on the mood you're in and the time of day and all this sort of thing. Because if I want a burger right now, the fat duck ain't going to help me. No, but if you want an experience of food that's going to knock your socks off and you will never, ever forget it, then the fat duck will be there. Well, yeah. but That's what the fat duck's for. I don't for. always want that. It, Sometimes, it's about an experience of 30 yeah. courses and somebody showing you all the drama and surprise of food and everything like that. You know what you get in a McDonald's. You're getting a surly teenager who kind of gets your order wrong and it's going to cost you less than a tenner to have a meal. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, Rich, and correct me when I'm wrong, <laughs> what I'm hearing is that you know about Quantum Leap's faults. Yeah. You totally recognize that they're there. Yeah. You agree that there are weaknesses in the show. Absolutely. But by God, you're standing by it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. It's, okay to, it's like having as, a friend as who a friend dresses badly. Said, it's okay to like crap as long as you understand why it's crap. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That that's what I'm I'm saying, and and as far as crap goes as well, let's be fair. This is entertaining and fairly innocuous crap. This yeah. isn't like a Michael Bay film. It's not going to make you angry watching yeah. it, is it? This is just nice. It's it's just there, and it's inoffensive, and it's a little bit fun, and it gives you characters that you can attach yourself to, that you do have an emotional investment in, regardless of what they get up to. You know, for all its faults, it still brings people to tears when Al can't get back with his wife and things like that. And surely that's the mark of something good being there. 95% of it was good. Yeah. I'll agree with you. It was just that niggling little 5% that really upset me. Right. So let's briefly say he arrives in 1953, August 8th. And and we're given lots of tip-offs about the time, you know, his beer only costs 15 cents. And he looks at himself in the mirror behind the bar and notices an older version of himself that he's not seen before because it's been a long time since he's, look, since he's looked in the mirror. So he's you know, looking at his own face for a while. Yeah, this is the first time that he's seen himself in... in- well, five years, right? Yeah, since he began leaping, he's not seen himself, so he's shocked that he's got a few white hairs in his in his fringe, and um, the guy's like, well, don't, you don't look at yourself very often then. <laughs> well, no, he, he really doesn't. So this is weird. He's not in somebody else. He's in his own real now self. Right now. And he kind of works out, well, uh, I arrived here about 17 minutes ago and it's my birthday, therefore I walked in that door around the time that I was born. And meanwhile, Al and Gushy cannot get a lock on him. He's disappeared as far as they're concerned. They don't know where he is or when he is. Somebody Um, knows where he is, though. Somebody knows where he is, the bloody barman, Al. Mm-hmm. Al's place, Al the barman, knows exactly who Sam is and why he's there and makes about 45 minutes worth of going, I might tell you, I might not. <laughs> Which, you know, Richard pointed out when we were re-watching it tonight, well, at this point, I would have just punched him. 
And there's, there's there a few so of those. There's so many bits. It's like, fucking tell me. <laughs> there's a few of those moments when it becomes obvious that the guy behind the bar knows something. And characters come in, you know, a guy with a massive long beard and bad breath comes in and he calls him Gushy. So there's Alan Gushy and Sam all in one bar, but they're not the Sam and Gushy that he knows. And then the bar starts filling up with lots of people that we either recognise by look or their names. So we've got a lot of leapers and a lot of people who are around the leapers in this bar. Now, is that what you took away from it, that they, they definitely are leapers? Was there no was there no s- subtle hint that there might be some reincarnation stuff being going on? I felt he was a leaper. I, I actually took a lot from this that I kind of feel like, and maybe this is something that a better written or longer running series might have gone into, that leaping is something that happens a lot to a lot of people in various ways for various reasons. And Sam is just one of many. And that this guy who disappeared was another one. Which is a weird thing, because we think that Quantum Leap's the only project that's doing this. And that's what Sam thinks We also well. think it's the only way to become a leaper. Oh, we didn't necessarily think that, because isn't there the episode where there's the evil leaper? This is Yeah, well, that's it. We, that we know there's an evil leaper. And so why can't there be other good leapers? Yeah. Why are there only two? Yeah. You know? It, 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 that is something that they could have explored. Things could have gone down that route. It might have been interesting if they had. Mm. We'll never know now. Well, but, Sam, Sam gets quite suspicious about Al knowing stuff, Al the barman knowing stuff, and asks him, well, how come you know stuff? And the question is sort of left unsaid, but it's like Sam is thinking, well, are you God then? And the guy giggles and goes, no, I'm not God. Hmm. So what are you? Are you Chief Leaper? Are you just the embodiment of wisdom or are you just a puppeteer? What? Who are you, this guy? Exactly. It's very philosophical, isn't so, it? Why has he leapt? Because there's always a reason why he's leapt. Yeah. Now, if this is going back to the day that he was born, why has he left? Don't know. Maybe for. And it doesn't fix it. It doesn't ever explain it, and that's where the pissing of me off started. Well, it's you know, there's a there's an accident. That, this is a mining town, so pretty much everybody who walks in the door is to do with the mine. And two guys are trapped down there, and you know, well, it, it's it, Jimmy. Yeah. And his brother, Frank, who we've already met, but it's not Jimmy and Frank, it's Tinchy. Is it Tinchy? Tonchi and Pete. T- Tonchi, see, I'm getting Tinchy Strider in my head. Tonchi and Pete. We have, pr- we have problems with American pronunciations of some names, and that, for me, even spreads to accents. I couldn't say Abigail. I could only hear Abigail. In, in that in that southern voice, that was all I could hear, yeah. and, it, and if it came out in my English accent, it sounded wrong. Abigail, and so and this this is another one. It's Tonchia Pete. <laughs> I don't know what that sounds like in English. I know what it sounds like in an American actor playing a Russian guy's voice, but that's not my voice. So there's lots of people though in this bar that are people from previous sleeps. Yeah, even the bartender Al. Is from the first leap. Is he? Yeah. That's why it's him. 
Right. In okay. the first leap, he leaps into, um, God, what is it? A pilot in the U2 program. Mm. The spy plane, mm. not the band. No. And uh, his commanding officer in the Air Force is Al the bartender. Right, okay. So they've gathered together. They, they bring it full circle Are they that all way. alumni? Not all of them, no. Right. The ones you get flashbacks. So you've got okay. uh, Jimmy and Frank and you've got Captain Galaxy. Mm. They're all actually... F- well, no, actually, they're not fairly recent because Jimmy's a, a very early episode, isn't mm. it? Um, but, yeah, that's why he's there. So Sam wants to know why he carries on leaping. Why can't I go home? Why am I doing this? He can go home. That's why he can go home. He just chooses not to. Yeah, but that's okay. never been explained to us before, has it? This is the first time it's revealed you can go home. You he just doesn't not to. He doesn't believe it. Well, I know he doesn't, and and there's that conversation about well, uh, have have you ever done something that you're kind of not supposed to, or have you always done what you're supposed to do? And he says. Well, yeah. Have you ever made a mistake? And he he reflects back on on the Al incident where he doesn't tell Beth. Yeah. That Al's alive because he's there to do something else, and Sam plays by the rules. Which just leaves me once again thinking, God, by sheer fluke, I picked the best episodes of this show to cover. Imagine if we'd not done that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My God, yeah. the things that we'd have missed. That was oh. such a key... All of the episodes were so key episodes. Yeah. I'm so pleased with that, and it really was at random. Great um, inadvertent job, Rich. <laughs> so, I suppose the nugget that comes up is, yes, I was there to do a job, but I really regret that I stuck to the rules. So if Al Barman was really, really God, what he's basically saying to Sam is you should have broken a rule, and that doesn't fit with our view of God, really. So he he can't be. He's just Chief Leaper or something like that, do you know what I mean? Let me tell you what I take from that, is that the rules as Sam sees them are the rules as Sam has created them. He's decided, and we've gone along with it for five series, that he's there to put one thing right and that one thing alone, and when that one thing is finished, he will leave. And what is what he's learning in this episode is that's not true. That's something you've decided, and you could have helped your friend and still helped this other guy, but you didn't because you made up these rules, and you know that, and you've always felt bad about that because you know what you could have done, and you chose not to. And the point is that he's leaping himself. And when he leaves the bar in this episode, he wants to put that right. And so that's where he leaps to. So from which I also take, he could leap home. But deep down, really, he feels he wants to just carry on putting right what once went wrong. Does he? Or is the, is the owl thing enough? And No, it no, it's not. It still feels a little bit unresolved. I wanted him to go home. It's that. That's the that's the bottom line. I wanted him to fucking go home. It's the <laughs> that eternal problem. If you can be Spider Man, don't you have a duty to be Spider Man, whether you want to be or not? Yeah, like we said and last it, week, when yeah. Al says, "Because you're you're a hero." And so it's that thing. You might want to go home and see your wife and have a rest, but you're the one who can do this, so you have to do it. And that's really all there is to it. And because Sam really knows that. 
that's why he never actually wants to go home. Besides, you know, he's only going to see his wife again. He might as well carry on leaping and snogging other fit lasses. <laughs> exactly, because his wife's just gotten like 20 Getting years older while pass. he's been away. Yeah. No, I don't so think... So Allison says that goodbye, Norma Jean is all about Eve. Mm. Rich says that Memphis Melody is Wayne's world. Yeah. And up until just now, when you say that Sam decides not to go home, uh, the finale was just The Wizard of Oz. It was. Yeah, it is a bit. Yeah. Which it really is was. why I started this off by saying it's really lazy writing. It, it goes down to write, you know, The Wizard of Oz, The Scarecrow, The Tin Man, The Cowardly Lion. They're all people from Kansas, just like you have, have all people from previous episodes in the bar. You got that all that Sam has to do is click his heels together three times and decide to go home. Exactly. You've got that, uh, you know, you've got your, your wizard of, of Oz that yeah. you meet, the bartender. Yeah. He's the wizard. Tells you all that you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely right. And it is arguably very lazy writing. Is Al like the nice witch? Don't know. Yes, Al, Al would be Glenda the good witch. Yeah. yeah. Not the scarecrow. You don't no. think he'd be the scarecrow? No. Okay. No, I think he's just ostentatious enough to be Glenda the Good Witch. Fair enough. He's too helpful and smart mm. and virtuous. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's got a high moral code, really, hasn't he? Sorry to drag us off on a little tangent here. Did you get the impression from The Wizard of Oz that the Scarecrow was sort of considered the best friend of Dorothy? And yeah. why is that? Cause it's because she met him first and he was that around it? longer. Yeah. Is that Because he's around arguably a morning longer. Yeah. More screen time. Because you don't get the feeling more that, of him. that walk down the yellow brick road didn't take more than a day. There wasn't an awkward where are we going to camp out tonight kind of scene or anything like that. So... I don't know, she was with the Scarecrow maybe an hour, two hours before they met the Tin Man. And yeah, there you go. And he becomes the King of Oz. What's wrong with the Tin Man? He's got a brain just because he didn't have a heart. He had a brain to begin with. Just can't get places fast enough, that's all. I don't know. This is how no things work in the land of Oz. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Couldn't do it with a Scarecrow. Get prickled. The stuffing kept falling get- out, yeah. That'd be his come online. He'd so be like, do you need a good stuffing? <laughs> In bars, drunk, that sort of Terrible pickup line yeah. for the Scarecrow. I think it's all right if you're a Scarecrow. I think the Scarecrows are already in trouble because he frightens the birds away, so... Yeah. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Anyway, well, I've referred to women too loop, often sorry. as birds tonight. I do apologise to all the feminists out there. I do love you all. You are mm. very sexy. To all the feminists out there, you scare me. <laughs> Here's an ethical question about the finale. When Sam jumps into the bar, does he have his entire memory? Does he have his entire memory? Oh, you, this is a thread here. This Every is jump before that we've had has the Swiss cheese memory effect. Yeah. Where he can remember certain things and can't remember certain things. Why did Jimmy stick so solid to him? Well, the big problem is that if he makes his decision to keep on jumping and not to go home, but he makes it without having his full memory that he's married, that he has a daughter, all these super important things, that's a really questionable thing. Whoever mm. let him make that decision without without telling him about all those things, whether it's bartender Al or Admiral Al, mm. that's very, very questionable. Mm. 
See, I also think it raises questions with what happens to Project Quantum Leap. From just a funding point of view, when they're like, he's never coming back. Well, we're not paying for this forever. What's going to happen when we turn it off? Don't know. Okay, let's find out. That would happen. What happens when Al dies why, of why old age? Why would they turn it off? Why would they turn it off? Would they not just go, yeah, sure, because you can have a week off, Sam? I don't know. You it been raises too years. many questions. What you if really he gets home and it? his wife doesn't even like him anymore? It's like, I'm sorry, I've moved on. They said you were dead. And he gets the Al treatment. Yeah. I'd keep on leaping. Because you wouldn't know what you were going home to. At that point, too long, too far has gone. And life is not the same anymore. You may as well keep on leaping, especially if it rewards you in the way that Sam feels rewarded by his life. He does feel rewarded. Or like you say, he would have gone home. I also think it raises questions with the fact that his physicality becomes the physicality of the person he leaps into. Which is fine when he's a relatively young, fit and healthy individual. But if he leaps for his entire life, let's imagine he lives till he's 85 years old. And he's leaping into a 17-year-old. Yeah. Is that not a crippling handicap in whatever thing you've gone to put right there? And suddenly this this 17-year-old knackered all the time Mm. and just sleeps and tells stories about the war and other things old people do. Well, seeing as how he's non-corporeal, I was kind of wondering whether he really was aging at all as he jumped. Maybe it's I mean, like, it's been five years, and Allison kind of put a... I think Allison ended that argument by pointing out that he's older in the mirror. Yeah, he's aged. I think he ages. So he's not immortal. No. No, I don't think he is. He ages. But whether he's got the physical abilities of Sam whilst he's in a person's body, I'm not sure about. He yeah, takes he on lisps and things like that and stutters. So. No, he has more than he hasn't. Because there's lots where he does his kickboxing thing, and it's raised in a number of issue in a number of episodes. He jumps into Jimmy. That's one of the exceptions. Come on, this is quantum leap. So I you know, know there well, are many weeks. We have weeks to just where, forgive it. I know you keep yeah. telling us this. There's just a, there'll suddenly be a week where hang on, but all of this that we've seen, yeah, forget all that that you've seen. It's this this week. Mm. This week he's gonna be like Jimmy. He won't ever do this again. But this week he's gonna take on the the. The, the physicalities of Jimmy. Uh, and it's just the way it goes. You know, I'm remi- there's an episode that we didn't watch because it's actually quite a dull episode I th- from what I remember where he leaps into a, the body of an old man who's a gunfighter. And in it, the, this other old man arrives to have one last gunfight with him and kill him. Um, and he makes the argument, but I should be able to beat this guy because I'm actually a young man and my brain works quicker, and I've got mm. quicker reaction times, and that sort of thing. So he makes that argument himself in an episode. Right. It shrugged off at saying that no, even though this guy's much older than you, he's he's still just a much better shot and a quicker draw, and he's going to kill you. Yeah. That's the tension there. Like you can be as young as you want. This guy can just shoot you. Um, now there are two related scenarios that maybe they explored, and I didn't see the episode, but I was kind of hoping that I would see something like this along the way. The first one is. It might have been really interesting to see a jump that took about 20 years for Sam to solve. Yeah. That he was just there for that long. Mm. Then we might have found out, does he age or doesn't he age? If he jumps into the body of a 17-year-old kid and doesn't jump until he's 37, what does that mean for Sam? Mm. And then the other scenario is, I kind of wish that there had been some exploration of what happens if Sam failed a mission. 
Now, I think what happened, I, I, you kind of led to, I, I think I watched it all believing that should he fail a mission, he kind of just stays as that person. Until it's fixed. No, just life then just continues as it did, but Sam is in that body, and that's it until that person or Sam dies, whatever. Whereas in this last episode, what you get with Stomper is that he's, we find out he's a leaper, and it's made very clear that this is not the first time he's seen all this. And there's that whole monologue about him saying what they're going through when they're trapped in the mine, and a kind of... I really know that they're still alive and that that's what they're going through mm. kind of way. Like he's been there many times before. And so I get the kind of Groundhog Day feeling with it. Mm. Like once you reach the point of no return with fixing it, it all starts again. And you're going to oh. keep, it will all keep starting again until you fix that thing. Mm. Well, that erases all dramatic tension then. You see, and then that <laughs> also give. That you know, because the the Stomper's a really old guy, and I get I got the feeling that he'd been doing that leap over and over, and had become an old man doing it. That and so maybe that answers some questions about Sam's mortality. That said, I think had he been doing it for many decades of his life, he'd have been a bit more excited when they finally got them out. Mm. Because he does just smile a lot. I don't know. That that's how it goes. So that's that's it. I ju- and I I don't know if that's some of it is just ha- what I choose to add and what feelings I get from it as opposed to what's actually happening and what's really there. But that that's how I've always thought of it. Like that, you see. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. I got angry though, didn't you, Jason? At, at, at which part specifically? Because there were, like I said, I, I like a lot of things, but the finale had big, big problems, and they, there were multiple ones. Which one pissed you off? Just the whole looseness of it, and the reason why Al the bartender was being so fucking cryptic. Well, there needed to be a more concrete, overarching point. They, they needed to come right out and say, "Hey, Sam, you're jumping because X." Yeah. There well, was I suppose no they did payoff. at the end. You're leaping because you're le- it's you who's doing it. But, you know, that that whole thing, then Sam goes outside to, to sit with the other Al and just sort of collapses in hysteria at the, the thought of what's happening to him. Sam can't have been directing his jumps the whole time, though, and here's why. Sam didn't know that Al had a wife. Mm. Sam didn't know that he needed to go into that situation. How would Sam have known... To jump to Jimmy. Yeah. Sam didn't know anything about any of those people. How was he directing his jumps around to these places that needed fixed? I don't, well, I suppose it's like, well, you're not directing where you go, but you are directing that you go. Yeah, that's what I think. I see. But so he gets to choose whether he's on autopilot or at home. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's a little bit better. But it, it does maybe, kind of. Maybe. It exalts him somewhat, though. It turns him from a hero into a saint because what we've got with Sam then is this man who is choosing to do good over his own happiness. Yeah, because so, he can, and he it's that whole, he can, so he has to. No one's that altruistic. I know it's lovely thought. It really is that someone would completely sacrifice their lives, and I guess a few individuals in history have. 
They've, they've not had families, you know. I'm thinking of your Mother Teresa types and things like that who've given their lives over to God and, and doing good and things like that. And it feels like that's what Sam is then. Sam's like a leaping Mother Teresa. He's a superhero. Even though he's got a family at home, he's got all of that stuff, he's choosing to fix things over his life. And I can only assume, therefore, that his wife must be booted and really, really unpleasant to be around. No, his wife was Terry Hatcher. Can you please pass my iPad? Sorry. Um, Yeah, his wife's not booted. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm not stretching. There we are. Great, thank you. Yeah, if you watch Terry Hatcher, you go home. Maybe she's it's just crazy. a really bad cut. I don't know. Maybe the the girls that he's meeting are really quite nice and all that. I don't know. Maybe the kick and reward of helping people really is that great. But I'll tell you a little secret. I'm a person who works on, has worked on all my working career as helping other people. And I'll tell you very much now. It's a quite a big secret people think they do it because oh it's great to help people because it's all about them and and therefore my reward is seeing them uh flourish and and get better and all the rest of it that's partially true the other big truth that no one really admits to is that everybody in a working uh working in a caring uh or, or social care capacity is getting therapy themselves because we just look at other people's problems all day long and it puts us in our place. And There's a line of um, philosophy that says that there's really no such thing as altruism. Exactly. Anything good that you do for somebody else, you're not doing it for somebody else. You're doing it because you get something from it. Exactly. And, that, you know, yeah. it's, it's a brave thing to say it out loud. But, yeah, I get a lot of, out of working with other people because it puts me in my place. It's like, well, stop bitching, girl. Look at this guy's legs hanging off and his parents hate him and he's he's living on the streets and he last ate last thursday all that kind of stuff it just puts you in your place and you go do you know what life's good and that's enough therapy for the job maybe that's sam's payoff life's good that's not to say though that there's nothing virtuous about helping other people it's just that there's there's a huge difference between altruism and enlightened self-interest and and enlightened self-interest is doing things for other people because in the in the long run it helps you too exactly and it's a biological imperative that's why we have laws we put laws in place we give up a little bit of freedom so that uh, everybody can have more stability and more safety Mm. sam's a bit of a stalwart in all this it does put him in a saintly position i think it puts him in a saintly position He's choosing this, and it does show more altruism than than self-interest, you know. And I don't think that's fully explored, and I'd like it to be, but it, you know, it's it's a fluffy TV show. Are they ever going to get there and and talk about the, the what rate, Sam gets out of leaping? Yeah, the rate that they were moving, I don't think that they would have ever explored <laughs> it because I don't think that that was the position. No, I don't either, and it's a shame because here we are talking about that very aspect of it, but. Yeah, I felt unfulfilled. I wanted to see home. Yeah. I, I, oh, I think I'm right there with you. I think that's my, my final feeling about it. I really wanted him to go home. I wanted to see that. I wanted that scene. I've already seen him go home to when he was a teenager. Let me see him go home as Dr. Sam Beckett, seeing his wife for the first time in... 
did Rich wander away from the mic? No, I'm here. Yeah, he's here. Oh, I thought we got him upset again. <laughs> no, he's fine. Okay. What, are, right. you, what are you checking out there, Richard? I was actually seeing if I could get the Quantum Leap comic on Comixology. And can you? No. Now, is the Quantum Leap comic kind of like the Buffy the Vampire Slayer comic, where it picks up in lieu of another season? Yeah. And from what I've read, it it explores some of the more non-television... Do um, think of your words, Richard. Uh, the what does it convert to the the small screen? Yeah. So in the, as I understand it, in one of the comics, he he does leap into being a baby, and in one of them, he is an alien on the Roswell spaceship and that sort of thing. Um, so I was just seeing if there was anywhere I could get my hands on them, and it really doesn't look like it. I can't even find a pirate version to download or anything like that. Carlos in the chat room says that there were novels, too. Did you ever see or read any of those? Oh, I saw that they exist. Now now you mention it. Uh, but I've, I've certainly never read one. Um, yeah, they exist. There's 13 issues of a comic. But where, I don't know where they could be gotten. I really don't. Oh, well. That's sh- I would have read those, actually. That might have been good. I'm into comics now, is the thing. So, I'm reading lots of comics. Now, what have you read so far? I, I think I saw... Didn't you say that you started with some uh, some Marvel stuff? Yeah, I actually started with the, the Marvel Civil War series. Mainly, entirely based on the fact that I loaded Comixology on the iPad. It had a big thing on the featured section that said, New to Comics. So, I hit that, and then the first one I saw was Civil War, and it looked quite interesting, so I just got those. That that was it. There was no other motivation behind it. And it's <laughs> it's been really good. What I don't like about it is that they seem rather resistant to just putting a story in a book and let me buy it. What they have to do is put most of a story in a book and let me buy it and then scatter the rest of it magically throughout many other books and not really make it clear what those other books are. And then yeah, Here's a, how you fix that. Yeah. Instead of buying the comics the way that you are right now, you need to look for trade paperbacks. Right. Trade paperbacks are collections of all the issues that go together into one big compendium. It's usually hardbound or softbound, but it's not in your traditional, you know, really crappy, pulpy uh, paper format. Right. So it's a little bit higher quality. Like, uh, like Watchmen. Alan Moore's Watchmen. I know what you think of the movie. I don't care. I know. But, <laughs> but uh, the comic books all came out as separate issues. And then what everybody reads the Watchmen, the format that everybody reads it in now is the trade paperback format. It's all together. They're all, you know, nice and lined up so that you can read them in one sitting. Right. See, that's that's what I want. I shouldn't have to go to Wikipedia and look up Marvel Civil War to figure out what comics have the story in it. And that frustrates me. But apart from that, I'm enjoying it very much. Enough so that I would get Quantum Leap comics if there were some. Or if I could find them, but they, they're not on Comixology. And there's not really a comic book I can, uh, comic book store I can go to. In fact, I don't, I, could, I don't know that I've ever seen one. We'll, we'll help you out. Yeah. We'll help yeah. you out off the air. Uh, anyway. So we're done with Quantum Leap. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we've Thank talked God. this one. Thank God. Goodbye, Sam. Goodbye, Al. I'll miss Al. I will. It's been Al nice. is still the best. He's That's been my nice having him in my life for a while, yeah. yeah. I, I nearly said to you as we were 
rewatching the finale earlier. In, in a fantasy world, if they were remaking Quantum Leap and I could pick a part to play on it, I would be Al. Yeah. I would be Al over being Sam. You're more Sam, though. <laughs> really? You are, yeah. No, that's good. I like that. Yeah, we'll, we can go with that. But for fun of playing a character, oh, uh, I, I would be out. I'm sure Dean Stockwell had the most fun. There, I think there are several characters like this in television. But, but the the other one that springs to mind, in, in the sitcom Frasier, mm. if you could be Frasier or Niles. Oh, you'd be Niles. You'd be Niles every time. <laughs> Niles, that's the most fun. Oh, I'd be the dad every time. Oh, oh, yeah. Mm, yeah. The well, point is... because you, you like sitting down, isn't it? Everyone's natural instinct <laughs> oh, oh. isn't to say na- Frasier. It's no, his wait, show. Wait, Rich, the- Rich, stop. We've got to go back to this. Did you just make me a fat joke, Allison? <laughs> no, no, I made a lazy joke. <laughs> okay, all right, love, that's acceptable. I love his chair. I could just see you sat in a little stripy chair with your feet up and a dog on your lap. <laughs> Quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> Not to ruin anything. But uh, have have you guys seen the modern remake of Battlestar Galactica? I've seen seasons one, two, and three. I haven't. So you haven't seen Dean Stockwell in it? No, no. I've seen him in it. Okay, all right. Yeah. He, he, he does pop up. He does. I would also recommend there's an, an episode, I think a season three episode of Star Trek Enterprise, where they're both in it, and that's worth a watch for its novelty value yeah. alone. It's not a bad episode of Star Trek, to be honest, but it's it's quite good because Dean Stockwell's playing the bad guy fighting Captain Archer, and it's, it's, be it's a, really be a fun good to watch. watch. I'd like to see Dean Stockwell do mean. Yeah, in fact, go and watch all of Enterprise. It's only four seasons. It's actually not now, bad. S- speaking of Star Trek, yeah. I can't wait for next week. What's next week? What are we? What did we decide on for next week? Allison, it was her turn to pick, and she chose Boston Legal. I did indeed. I chose Boston Legal with a wonderful Danny Crane, played by the awesome William Shatner. We need to order some uh, Boston Legal DVDs. He's not the best thing in Boston Legal, but I will just skate over that. We'll find out. We'll find out exactly what the best thing is about Boston Legal when we talk about it. And I think we all, well, two of us agree. I think two of us agree, and and obviously Richard's going to be going. Yeah, Shanna. I don't. I don't have a problem with what I think you two would say. I really yeah. don't. But I just think you don't. You don't mess with William Shanna. That, that's the that's the problem. You don't mess with Alan Shaw, or rather, you want to mess with Alan Shaw, but you're never going to quite get there. Yeah. <sighs> I have a feeling that we're going to end up talking an awful lot about. <coughs> Hey, did you see that other guy who was in that one episode of Star Trek that one time? <coughs> yeah. That's the best thing about Boston Legal. It seems like they do like to go back and hire, uh, do loyalty hires of old Star Trek actors. The best the best <coughs> bit of that to focus on is uh, the fact that Denny Crane, when he opens his cell phone, it makes the Star Trek communicator noise. <laughs> Just joy, Doesn't he say it? beam me up at one point? I believe so. Yeah, there's I a couple. I think so. There, there's also a, Kl- a Klingons mention at one point as well. I seem lots to remember. Lots and lots. Lots of that. So I'm looking forward to that. Oh, I've forgotten all about that. Now well, we'll talk about the episodes after again. we finish recording. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. pick the episodes. Yeah, we need to know what we're, we're going to watch. Because <laughs> we can't realistically I've got just a few say, let's watch all like. of it. And I, I think, you know, where we're, where we're introduced brilliant characters, I think we should see them. 
We're going to have to actually analyze this a bit, I think, and go through and read some synopsis because there's I none. I have that... been for the last half hour. Oh, have you? Yeah, I've just been flicking through. Right, fair enough. <coughs> so, yeah, I've yeah. got at least a couple of shows that I think straight off the bat we should talk about. Smashing. Well, let's wrap okay. this up then because I can't wait to talk about Boston Legal. Okay, me neither. Woohoo, exciting. Okay, well, thank you for listening, everybody. This has been our Quantum Leap period. <coughs> if you want to. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. I'm just going to mute you for a second. Alison's dying quietly in the corner. I'll, I'll do this talk over the top of that. Um, if you want to email us and suggest anything, have your say about anything, let us know how you feel. Uh, our email address is remotepatrol at simplysyndicated.com or just go and jump onto our forums at simplysyndicated.com slash forums. Uh, what else do I normally say? Don't forget you can get episodes of our content back in the store. I think maybe Remastered will be in there now. I don't know if I'll do that or how that will work. We'll figure something it, out. It will, it will really surprise me if anyone wants to pay for Remastered. Oh, people pay for Make It So, dude. That means we'll pay for anything. <laughs> people, uh, people bought the Top Trumps episode of Make It So. Seriously. You know, we can sell nice. stuff. Uh, that's cool. Um, the, the funny thing with that show is people still, still ask for it to come back. Oh, you're still oh, muted. Hang on. Well, it is coming back. It might even be back. No, it won't be back by the time you hear this. That's optimistic. Uh, but there'll be some new Make It So probably in the form of movie specials. So go and check those out in our store. Simply Syndicated has lots of stuff coming. In the store, do you sell a definitive word episode that is about 30 seconds long? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. You used to get it with the one that followed it for free. Mm. But you don't anymore. It's because the store doesn't do that. But yeah, there is a 30 second long episode of the definitive word. Uh, the Do We Exist episode. It's gold. It's part of a set. You've got it. You've got to get it. I know it's only 30 seconds long. Someone said, should we do the question? Do we exist? So we said, yeah, we do. Thanks for listening. <laughs> oh, the outrage when I did that. And I had the next episode ready to go later that day. But the outrage for a few hours. It's only 30 seconds long. How can you do this? All the emails. It was great fun. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, so go and check those out. They are all there. So that's everything we need to know for now. And don't forget, check out Atomic Trivia War 9000, which oh, is, is an fun. awesome show. And join us on Saturday nights for Richard and Hallison's... Richard and Hallison's... Richard and Hallison's Super Happy Fun Time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, call in and talk to us. Midnight Fridays, as UK as... time, 7pm Eastern. Is that right? I have no idea. I don't know. That's it. <coughs> so... Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week to talk about Boston Legal. Oh, boy. Watch it. Bye-bye.